What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jay Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. I am so dedicated to this podcast that I'm sitting in an empty house where I've just moved houses, but I have internet in only this old house, so I'm sitting on the floor in an unfurnished house. Bringing you Paint Points today, I'm with Jack Borman, Canis Hoopers contributor, friend of the show. What's going on, Jack? Well, I'm not sitting on the floor of an unfurnished house, thankfully. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 been a good week of, of, of hoops, and you know, even though the draft lottery didn't didn't necessarily go our way, um, you know, which was to be expected, it's it's still been it's still just been so much fun to to watch all these these playoff teams just go at it. Yeah, it, it has been, and I think it's been a really good playoffs. I know some of the narrative has been around the fact that that the star players, you know, the biggest names, Durant and, and LeBron and, and all those guys aren't in the playoffs anymore, but I think that has kind of made it even more fun. Uh, I've been really enjoying watching the Hawks and, and the Suns. The Bucks are obviously always going to be a, a strange team to watch, both fun and bad, depending on what quarter of the game you get. <laughs> Uh, and then the Clippers, you know, without Kawhi, is is another strange kind of team that's that's fun in their own way. So, I think the, the playoffs are doing going well. We obviously are going to speak about other things rather than the playoffs because that's what we do here. Um, the big news is is the draft lottery. Obviously, didn't go the way that we'd hoped, um, and Minnesota end up with the seventh pick, which then transfers to Golden State. As I'm sure you know if you're listening to this. Uh, for me, I was still jealous because all you guys were over at Forgotten Star Brewery in, in Minnesota watching it. So many people there. Um, shout out to Carl Targi and Dane Moore who, who put that on. Before we get into the, the nitty gritty of it, how was the, the watch party and, and how was your night and, and day there? Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think, you know, I was talking to Kyle kind of before it started. He said, you know, maybe, you know, 50, 75, 100 people show up. Um, and, you know, you get to meet some people that you've seen, you know, online or interacted with online. And, um, you know, I have a few, have a few beers and, um, and, and, and kind of just like get on with the night in terms of watching the, watching the draft lottery and, and listening to, to Dane and Britt kind of break it all down live there. Um, but if, I would say there was probably damn near like 300 people that were there. It may be more, um. That, that were there and so just like trying to interface with people and meet people was just kind of intimidating to be honest because there were just like so many Wolves fans packed in such a, a small little area but it was a lot of fun um you know the food was great um you know and, and everybody that was there seemed like they were having an awesome time so so that was a lot of fun and then uh, you know then we had a little little canis canis crew after after party um so so it was being like a 
night that went on until like two o'clock in the morning for me. Um, and I had to get up and work and go to the office and be there by like eight the next morning. So it was, a it was a tough Wednesday for your boy, but, um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and, and again, like you said, just shout out to, to Dane and Kyle for putting that on. Cause you know, that they did that on, on pretty short notice, but, um, but man, man, was that, was that an incredible turnout. And, and even after the draft lottery, you know, I, I thought that things kind of would have thinned out a little bit. Um, maybe like 15, 20 people left, you know, after the draft lottery happened, um, which is just kind of a testament to just the degeneracy of, of this fan base that, you know, people, people are just itching, scratching, clawing for any type of, uh, any type of Timberwolves content. And to be able to do it like that in a setting like that was, um, was really cool and, and a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, Kyle, I said to Kyle, I said, you know, did the, the, the vibe kind of die out after obviously the, the disaster that was the actual draft lottery? And he said, no, like it was just kind of, water off a duck's back and, and everyone continue the night. And I think that, yeah, it's a testament to how easily we just brush off disappointment as a, as a fan base. And, and it's good to see that everyone kind of was able to have fun and not just base their night around the result of the draft lottery and more just on the, on the people that were there. I was super jealous. I was at work. Um, I almost, I, part of me wants to like go to the toilet at work and crack a beer and <laughs> watch the watch the lottery. I managed to I managed to sneak it in uh, on my phone while while it was happening. So I quickly saw the Golden State, you know, via Minnesota Timberwolves pick and then closed it off and pretended like nothing ever happened. So Yeah, the way that they the way that they did that was really odd. Like everybody was like, Wait, what 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 what? Was that us? My, what? Girl, my that, girlfriend, like, what? my girlfriend what? messaged me and said, "Oh, like you, you guys are in the top four. Like how exciting!" I was like, "No, we're not. Like that was just the wrong card." <laughs> yeah, no. I think everybody kind of started to get a little antsy when like ten, nine, and eight were off the board, and everybody, you could, you could kind of hear the palpable, oh, 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 like kind of in the room as, as you know, the picks are counting down. Um, and then, yeah, there was just, like, very palpable confusion um, when they announced it. Um, and, and, like, there was just no time for, like, any of the hosts to jump in and be like, okay, so that's Minnesota's pick that's going to Golden State there at 7. It was just, like, Mark Tatum's just, like, ripping through, ripping through teams, which I guess, like, was efficient and great. But, like, at the same time, you know, nobody wants to hear you talk about the Orlando Magic and the Cleveland Cavaliers for like 20 minutes before the picks start rolling in. Um, I, I, I was disappointed that we didn't get to see an, an Anthony Edwards' reaction. Like I know Swin Cash's reaction was so funny when when <laughs> you awesome. yes. and, and some of the um, I don't know who the I I didn't have the sound up, so I don't know who the Orlando. Uh, representative was but he was clearly pissed at getting five and eight like everyone just looks pissed in the reactions because none of them unless it's one two or three everyone was pissed that they were in that you know that the second half of the lottery so i was disappointed we didn't get to see an anthony woods reaction because that would have been legendary i think um checking in kind of on not not you know moving on from the night what's the vibe what's the vibe around that you have right now around the Timberwolves just now that you know for sure that they haven't kept the pick like like give me a vibe check um you know the the vibe isn't really 
um, really isn't any different for me. Um, you know, I, I obviously was expecting that the Timberwolves weren't going to keep their pick. You know, I think when I was writing that, that article that I wrote, um, that, that went out the morning of the draft lottery here in America, um, about just kind of the different paths that the Timberwolves can take and go down given each, you know, possible outcome. And, you know, when I, and I purposely put a lot more time into writing about what would happen if they didn't get their pick rather than if they did get their pick. Um, and, and I think, you know, I came up with a pretty crazy trade scenario that you'd call Portland if, if, the, if you get the number one pick and just say, here's the kitchen sink for, for Dame. And so thinking about stuff like that or thinking about like Mobley cat lineups or, you know, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Greens, those think about a little, a little bit of those things kind of the morning of and the night before, I think was kind of in the back of my head a little bit, but no, I still, the vibe is, is really good. Um, you know, the, you know, we still have Anthony Edwards, still have Carl Anthony Towns. I think the vibe has gotten a lot better actually now that, Philadelphia is almost for sure going to trade Ben Simmons. I just don't see a way that, that Simmons is back in Philly after that. Uh, and just kind of gives you another thing to look at now that the you know, draft lottery didn't, didn't go our way. And maybe two, three weeks ago, you know, I, I would be thinking that the Simmons ship had sailed because Simmons was excellent in the first round. He was excellent all season for Philadelphia uh, and, and really fit in well with the, with the, guys that they had there with Danny Green, Seth Curry, Tobias, uh, and B that, that lineup was incredibly dominant this season. Um, and, and now we're looking at almost a for sure thing that Ben Simmons is going to get traded and very few teams are in a position like the Timberwolves are to, to make a move there. So, so the vibes are still really good. And, and obviously you still, you think too about, about Bulmero. You know, you dropped that incredible bull marrow piece. I haven't, I haven't worked my way entirely through it yet. Um, yeah, you need um, about, you need about half a day. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, my job has just been crazy busy the last few days. Um, but, but yeah, that that's a Sunday. That's a Sunday plan for for me here in America. Um, so yeah, and, and you saw bull marrow coming over most likely this season, uh, this upcoming season. And so if he's able to be here by the time summer league rolls around, and we kind of get to see him, I think. I think the vibe is, is only going to get higher or better, um, you know, before before the season starts. Just on that, the Minnesota Summer League team has the potential to be ridiculously fun. Like, I think McDaniel's confirmed that he's going to play. Yep. I think yep. The, I think the the front office or the the team kind of hinted that Anthony Edwards is going to play, which I don't know if that's a great idea. But like, if Ant's out there, he's, he's going to play. If Ant's out there, he's going to drop forty a game. <laughs> But like even without him, like I'm, I'm sure Culver will play, and we'll get to see him in a different setting at least. Noel will probably play, Balmaro. Like that has the potential to just be an awesome team and, and a real. Uh, I think Nas could play too. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, Nas, it, it wouldn't shock me at all. Because Nas has had one, hasn't he? Because I know a lot of these guys haven't had a. a... I mean this, this yeah, this last. I mean Nas had one. Um, but this last season was only, it was the first season that Nas was in the rotation. I mean, a lot of time, I mean, and I tweeted that Nas would probably be at summer league, you know, this is back in 
I don't know, like March when the Timberwolves season was still around. And I said something like, I can't wait to see the Timberwolves team of like Balmero, Noel, McDaniels, Nas, and maybe like Culver or Kogi or someone like win the summer league. And someone was like, dude, what the hell? Like, there's no way Nas Reed is going. And I said, dude, like, I love Nas as much as anybody, but I feel like you should be trying to get that dude to play as much basketball as you can get him to play. Like, it's awesome that he's going to Vegas, um, Vegas in July with, with Ant on, on kind of that. I think they called it the, the USA Select team that will practice with and, and play against the United States national team. And so just for those two to be able to be selected uh, by, by USA Basketball, I think really – tells me that, that the people who are involved with USA basketball as well as the Olympians this year uh, that are playing are are incredibly high on, on both of those guys and, and think that the future in Minnesota is bright. And, you know, be, because of that, I think you want to showcase that as much as you can in in Vegas. And, and obviously, I'd think that Ant wouldn't play just because he's such a central part of what the Timberwolves want to do. Um, and, and, you know, Nas is a key part of that as well. But like, if you can get Nas there practicing, playing a bunch of different spots, so there'd be the four or the five, um, you know, in different places with, with McDaniels all over the floor. Um, and also just being able to get him as many reps with Balmero as possible. Um, and Noel too, cause Noel can run the offense. So being able to get as many reps with those two guys, I think will be, will be really important as well. And to just get him 30 minutes a night or 33 minutes a night, like it's, I think as much as you, you like you said, he's important to the rotation and he's kind of already uh, set himself as a guy who's going to play minutes for the team next season. I think that being able to get a guy 33 minutes a night uh, and maybe be a, the option one or the option two on a team is a lot different to being the sixth, seventh, eighth guy on a team You know, in the NBA. And those reps that you get from... From being a number one option is um, inv- invaluable, I think, especially for a guy like Nas, for a guy like McDaniel's. I think that's what I'm really excited about for summer league is to see McDaniel's in more of a creator type role and initiator type role rather than a guy who's just only allowed to take four dribbles a game and, and shoot threes. Like I think McDaniel's is going to have a long leash in summer league, and that could really uh, springboard him into next season in terms of of confidence doing doing things with the ball that's not just shooting catch and shoot threes so and we kind of saw it towards the end of the season where he would he would catch the ball and attack a closeout and have that pull up jay from the mid-range or get all the or kind of and then once he made a couple of those he would kind of get to that free throw line and then do that kobe move where you kind of fake a step back and keep your dribble and then have a wide open lane to the rim um, and at 6'10", I mean, the dude is is incredibly long. He was at the Lynx game last night, and he stood up to just kind of stretch out at one point during a timeout. And, I mean, that dude is huge in person. It is crazy. Uh, I refuse uh, to believe that his wingspan is 6'11". No, like, it's no way. It's no, no way. It's not one inch, you know, plus, like plus one inch. It, it's at least seven one seven two. He, like, I don't know how... Sometimes I see these wingspans the way they're measured. Obviously, they're measured more than we can measure them ourselves just by watching them on the screen or watching them in person. But, like, there's no way that some guys have these huge wingspans and Jaden McDaniels has a plus one wingspan. The dude looks like a pterodactyl when he's coming on the backside to just crunch somebody's shot at the rim. I mean, it's insane. Uh, but, yeah, so he was there, which is kind of fun. And, and he's been in Minnesota quite a bit from what I understand. 
um, as as well as, as guys like Josh and Nas. Um, man, is Josh and Nas that would be a crew to be hanging out with in Minnesota during the summer. But um, yeah, so I you know I with McDaniel's, I think that I also wouldn't be surprised if they let McDaniel's run the point a little bit as just kind of like a secondary creator because you know I think like in yeah. any situation yeah. even if they're not going to get those reps in the regular season like they're going to be better for it in the long run and and McDaniels if they if he is indeed a guy that they see being a part of the tour then then giving them as many chances to be a creator as possible is the right way to do it yeah i mean i think you're seeing in this in these playoffs too just the value that secondary creation uh, holds, you know, Seth Curry, the revitalization of his pick and roll game that we saw in Dallas, that he was so successful when, when Luca was, or wasn't on the floor. Um, they ran a bunch of pick and roll with Seth Curry and he was, he was very good at it. He was very good shooting out of it. Um, and, and also grew a lot as a playmaker last year. And I think he kind of put that, he put that on full display, um, you know, and against the Hawks in that series where he just had a, a bunch of just incredible games and, and obviously that was partially due to Simmons just having a you know whatever the hell he had <laughs> going on um, but yeah and then you think of Kevin Herter too guys like Kevin Herter and Bogdan Bogdanovich um, both of those guys are are really underrated ball handlers um, sp- specifically Bogdanovich I think um, you know I think Bogdanovich assuming kind of that point guard role with Trey off the floor uh, has been huge for them because they don't really have a second point guard on their roster. I mean, they have Chris Dunn. Um, but has he played at all this season, Dunn? I don't know. I'm not. I think he not might. Sure. Have, I think not he sure. might have been injured for the entire season. I think he might have had a surgery early on or something. Yeah, I think he he or he maybe like came back and then re-injured something. Um, I don't know, but I mean, Bogdanovich, he's really been their second point guard. Um, he's been awesome. And it's also allowed Trey to kind of float off the ball when they want to, you know, have Bogdanovich run the offense for a few possessions and they can use Trey's gravity off the ball to, to open up the role game for Collins, uh, or Capella or, you know, even, even someone like Gallinari, like running pick and roll with Gallinari picking, excuse me, pick and pop with him. Um, they just have so many different options and their spacing is incredible in large part because, um, it doesn't suffer at all when you bring, when they bring their secondary, you know, ball handler initiator in. And I think for the Timberwolves, like, yeah, Bolmero is, is definitely going to have a similar impact in terms of, you know, just that, that there's not going to be a huge drop off in terms of the playmaking skills. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, especially if you look at, a guy like McDaniels, though, for instance, the ability to have him kind of handle it a little bit and run pick and roll with Cat or, you know, with Simmons, if Simmons comes over or um, or even Nas. I, I think that really opens things up for guys like Jalen Noel that are going to be shooting off the ball or D'Lo if D'Lo's in um, with the twos for a time, you know, for a period of time as well. So. I think just being able to tap into every bit of, of offensive creation from Jaden McDaniels uh, in between now and next season, I think is, is definitely the best, the best thing for his development. So let's, let's talk about some trade targets. I mean, obviously Simmons is the big one. Um, if you, uh, we'll start with this. I think the bit, the three big ones that, that you hear with Minnesota are the three big guys. And that's obviously Ben Simmons, 
Miles Turner, who's who's kind of picked up some more steam again lately, and then John Collins, whose steam kind of seems to be wearing out as he just really, you know, asserts himself on these playoffs and, and, and is clearly such a, a huge part of Atlanta's core that's obviously doing really good things. Um, factoring in the, the price of acquisition and the player, all three of their contracts, what's your ranking of who you'd rather on the Timberwolves? Um, so I, this is very easy for me. Um, Simmons, number one, Collins, number two, and, and Turner, three. Um, because I think Turner gives you nothing on offense. I, I, I don't think he gives you anything that is, that is even remotely close to or better than the Nas Reed. Um, mm-hmm. and, I think what people and, don't understand with Turner is that he isn't the three-point shooter that he has the perception of being. Um, I think he that, does not have gravity. No, like he, no. I think it's all good to be able to knock down threes, but he shot 33% this season, and if defenses aren't closing out hard to you and they're not, you know, trying to stop you from shooting threes, then like, you're not really spacing the floor. Like, your teams are happy to let you shoot four or five threes a night at 35%. Like, it's, I understand the, the appeal for him, but if you're playing him pretty much as a 3 and D guy, like where you're just going to play him as a big wing on offense, and he's not going to knock down 37% of his threes, um, like, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, he's, he's going to hurt the offense, and that's, that's obviously taking away from the fact that he was one of the great rim protectors of the league this season. Like, that, that, uh, Indiana were a much better team when he was on the floor defensively. They were worse offensively when he was on the floor. They were worse rebounding. He's not a good rebounder. Um, but he does a lot defensively. Uh, I, I guess we'll start with him. We'll work our way up and, and, and finish with Simmons. But if we start him with Turner, how much of his defensive... Um, kind of adeptness is is appealing to you. Like obviously, what he does is is really valuable defensively, but it does mean a whole shift on the floor for Minnesota with Towns going down to the four, which we 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 hope that he can play better, but we don't know that. Um, and, and another kind of guy who's not extremely mobile on the court in Turner, he's definitely a good rim protector, but but not really a guy you want to put in switching situations and, and up at the level of a pick and roll. So. Um, yeah, how much do you think that defense kind of makes up for what he lacks on offense in a Timberwolves setting? Yeah, I think that, you know, the Timberwolves don't really have a true rim presence uh, on defense. You know, I think that Cat Cat has done that at stretches, in stretches. Um, and, and, you know, I think he's done it especially against teams that aren't very good uh, and don't have a lot of guys that really can pressure the rim and make things tough for him inside. Um, but so I think that definitely his rim presence and his rim protection is something that that would be legitimate and in, in, in a very good addition to the Timberwolves right away. Uh, and it would allow Cat to kind of play that that four spot on defense where he's a lot able to to defend more in space. He's able to be more aggressive at the level if he's uh, in pick and roll defense. Um but also that he's able to switch on to bigger wings, you know, guys like a Tobias Harris or 
um, you know, a Paul George, somebody of that kind of body type that, you know, is still very capable of getting downhill and getting to the rim, um, but is also just not big enough to go through him. And I think that we've seen Cat succeed in, in a couple of ways defensively on the perimeter. It's been, you know, when he's been able to kind of to, to track them in the sense where he's not really trying to cut you off from where you're driving. He's trying to bait you into, you know, taking your shot at a certain point so that he can try and block and contest it. Um, and, and having a guy like Turner there on the backside to, you know, to cut off and steal, you know, any lobs or, or uh, you know, kind of dump off passes into the lane that we saw the Timberwolves get burned with quite a bit this year um, would, would be huge. Um, you know, pr- I don't I don't really think Turner is is that great defending on the perimeter. Um, I, I don't think he's got the fastest feet um, rel- relative to some of the other bigs that, that can defend in space. Um, but, but yeah, I, I really think that the only value that he would have to Minnesota would be as that rim protecting five in the lineup. And, you know, if he can, if he can make more threes, more catch and shoot threes than great, you know, th- that's awesome. Um, but, you know, I, I think that you'd really have to play him in a lineup where you'd have, it would probably have to be that, that main lineup of like D'Lo, Ant, Jaden, and Cat out there with him to give him maximum spacing. And I think that, that that's a great way to utilize to, to utilize him because then that way, you know, you're still probably going to be a net positive on offense and his defense can help you climb closer to being a net negative or just like a net neutral. Um, but but I don't really see another way that, that Minnesota utilizes him outside of just his best role, which is as as a rim protecting five. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's tough with him because he what he brings is is so important to a team, and, and what he brings allows Carl Anthony Towns specifically and Jaden McDaniels to both move down a spot, which I think we both agree it can be beneficial for them. We we would assume that it's beneficial for them, um, but then he takes away a lot as well offensively, and that is where. Minnesota are going to need to butter their bread because that's what this team is built for. Um, I, I love Towns. Not even what Towns can do on the perimeter as a defender, but more not having Carlton Towns in, in 75% of the pick and rolls that, that, a def- that an offensive team play uh, runs. Um, the, the less pick and rolls you have Towns in, the better. The more possessions that he just doesn't really get involved in the defense and more just has to kind of stick with a shooter or, or can, can be more of a weak side guy himself where he doesn't have to worry about, about covering a roller and containing a, containing a ball handler. I think that could have enormous effects on, on this team's chances to win more games, even though Towns did get a lot better last season in, in pick-and-roll defense. But I just think that, you know, if you're hoping for Towns to, to continue you know, a real upward tra- trajectory defensively. I think you're maybe hoping for a little bit too much. I, I think I think you're still better off finding schemes or finding players to go next to him that minimise the the amount of times that he, he's involved in these actions. And Miles Turner does that. Like, Indiana were 5.2 points better defensively when he was on the floor. He, he blocked 5.5% of opponent's shots, you know, which is 100th percentile for bigs in the league. He was probably probably the best shot blocker in the league alongside Rudy Gobert. He also... I would say he's, be- I would say he's better than Gobert as a shot blocker because, 
you know, Turner, Turner can defend more in space than, yeah. than Gobert can. Yeah, and, and but what is different about him, obviously, with Gobert, with Gobert, is that like they're five points worse on offense when he played this season, and and some of that is because a lot of the time they staggered him and Sabonis, and Sabonis has clearly got better offensive player, but he just doesn't really do that much offensively. He he right. has. He's a low usage guy. He's not a roll threat. He's not a lob threat. Like he shoot, like we said, he shot thirty three percent from three. He he likes to take mid range spot up jumpers, like which we know that Minnesota aren't going to want him to take in their offense as a, as a low usage guy. Um, I, I I just don't know what he really does offensively, and, and maybe. If they if they are really willing to you know if Miles Turner is a Minnesota Timberwolves player in, in a month or in two months the the hope is that he can shoot better on catch and shoot threes if he shoots thirty seven percent on catch and shoot threes and that's kind of his entire role almost offensively apart from the odd offensive rebound or 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 rolling action um, then maybe he's a good player like maybe he can help the offense but I think it's a big risk to take when your team is built around having a supercharged offense and an okay defense. Like I get that he can, he himself can make them that okay defense, but like you can't be okay at both. You can't have one guy, you know, eat, eat away at your offense while, while helping your defense. You, you need to find both. You need to find someone who really works uh, in both ways. And I think, you know, we're moving on. That guy could be John Collins, right? Like, like Collins has been, You've been the biggest. You've been driving this wagon that John Collins has been excellent defensively this playoffs. Like, I I don't think I've watched enough Atlanta throughout the season to kind of really have a grasp on on what what he does defensively because he's always had a pretty bad reputation. But you know, we've all watched pretty much every Atlanta game this playoffs, and not to be a prisoner of the moment, but he just looks fantastic on that end. Like, just very helpful. Yeah, I think during the season he was hyper aggressive on defense. Like I think he always wanted to make like that huge play and he wanted to block shots. He wanted to kind of go for home run steals and stuff like that. Um that I think resulted in breakdowns. Uh, and and that happens. Like you know, regular season, you know, it's understandable that that like players may not play the same way in the regular season as they do in the playoffs just because the intensity of everything changes. And I think that Collins' role defensively has kind of evolved throughout the season too, where, um, you know, I think he pretty much strictly played the four and played, you know, kind of that backside role during the season. And in the playoffs, there's been times when compete like Capella has gotten played off the floor a little bit and he's had to be out there. Um, or they just switch hunt and, and teams have been really trying to hunt him out, especially the, what the Sixers did with Embiid, where they tried to get, and beat on Collins one-on-one in the post and Collins fought like hell to, to front him, to make entry passes as difficult as possible, to take charges, pull the chair out from him, um, uses great hands to, to knock the ball away. Um, and then also too, like Collins, obviously we all know is an insane athlete. And so for him being able to maintain verticality when people drive at him at the rim is not super hard for him. Because, you know, he's just got such great balance and such great timing. And and he's really kind of started to put all of the physical tools that he has uh, t- 
together with all the different roles that he's played defensively this season for them. And I think, I just think that, that him getting hunted and him kind of, you know, being thought of as a guy that we can score on rather easily kind of brought even more of a dog out of him. And he's a, he's tough as nails. He's not scared of anybody and he'll let you know about it. And, um, and I think when you got, when you have that spirit matched with that athleticism matched with, um, you know, just no fear and, and being willing to be aggressive defensively, uh, you get you get what we've gotten from John Collins this year in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's when you watch him, you definitely see a guy who wants to be really good defensively, and I know that doesn't always translate to being good defensively. I think Malik Beasley wants to be good defensively, and, and you know, when you watch him, you, you kind of shudder at some of the things that he does. But Collins has the body and the, the physical makeup to, to apply that that attitude in, into more kind of tangible success. Um, like you said, he, he goes vertical up really well just because he gets off the floor so easily that he doesn't need to, to overextend or to, to overcompensate to get to the level of someone else's hand, like on a driving layup or on a hook shot or, you know, like anything that Embiid's going to do, a turnaround jumper, like he doesn't need to overexert himself to kind of be there just because his athleticism dictates that he can really do a lot of things that other people can't. Um, and again, if we're going back to the numbers, I mean, they've been better defensively with him on the court every year of his career. And that's not a perfect science because that has to take into account who the backup is. But Onyeko Kongu has been really good this season when, you know, after he, he got over his injuries and stuff at the start of the season. And, and, and Collins, you know... Like the backups there are good defenders and they're still better on the court when, when he's on there. Um, and then, you know, if we're kind of comparing him to Turner, what he does offensively is is just really valuable and really, really valuable for a team like Atlanta and really, really val- valuable for a team like Minnesota who have pick-and-roll point guards who like to, to play with, with hard rollers and with lob threats and with guys who can also pop on those on those after those screens and and shoot jumpers and he's not a, he's not a great three-point shooter he's he's kind of you know similar to miles turner a little bit better but similar how he's not I, gonna, th- I think he's much better than yeah miles but turner. similar how i don't think he's going to kill you with three-pointers but because he does other things the three-pointers are just a supplement to his offensive game rather than miles turner it's the, the thing that he needs to do to be good um Whereas John Collins can can give you fifteen points a night, not shooting threes on lobs, on rolls, you know, on the occasional you know seal and post up when he gets a smaller man on him, and putbacks too, and, putbacks too, yeah, and putbacks, yeah, and then if he hits two or three threes, all of a sudden he's got twenty five points and, and twelve rebounds, you know, and he's having a great game, and ha- and that's what he's done throughout his season, especially the last two or three years. So what Collins brings, um excites me if I'm a guy, you know, if I'm some, if I'm a believer in him coming to Minnesota. What I struggle with right now is is how much more likely or less likely do you think that that can actually happen now that he's really doing it at the highest level and, and Atlanta are uh, streets ahead of what they probably thought they were in terms of, of development of the team. 
zero percent chance John Collins is in Minnesota next year. Zero. Zero. The Hawks are matching whatever he gets. There could be one asshole that joins the party, like Oklahoma City or Charlotte or, um, you know, the Knicks could. I mean, the Knicks, the Knicks like, Knicks aren't going to do that because of, because of Randall. But, you know, there's it, all it takes is one team to just give that monster offer, um, that offer sheet. But I think the Hawks are kind of just going to say, fuck it. Like, let's, let's do it because I think, I think what gets underestimated too, especially in the playoffs is personalities like Aaron Gordon, when he was in Denver this year, excuse my language was a huge bitch (laughs) just on the floor. Like he, he whined and cried whenever he didn't get his way. He didn't elevate anybody around him with leadership of somebody that's been in the playoffs before. He he crumbled in big moments. He couldn't do anything, really, to help his team on either end of the floor. I feel like this is a pointed attack at me, who's an Aaron Gordon no, 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 no. I think, you'd, I think you just like to see the best in people, and I respect that. Whereas, like, I have no problem just being like, this guy's just, like, not, like, I don't care what he does on the floor because I just am so off, like, who he is as a person. And, like, it, or, like, what his personality is. I shouldn't say who he is as a person because he could be a, a great person for all I know. But, um, but, yeah, like, John Collins this year has been the heart and soul of that team. Like, you can say it's Trey Young in MSG saying it's quiet as fuck in here, which was incredible but I think John Collins is by far the toughest dude they have and he's battling on the boards on defense in in every facet when he's out there he's elevating his teammates he's telling guys he believes in them he's he's supporting them as much as he can in press conferences he's telling guys to keep his head up when when shit hits the fan during the game he's cheering guys on in the middle of the game he's he's active and engaged when he's on the bench um like that's just like the the difference between those two types of players where you know at the deadline we thought okay these players have a similar value you know now we're seeing in the playoffs that 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 type of leadership and that type of kind of alpha dog mentality really matters and you know the Timberwolves seem like they have an alpha dog in Anthony Edwards now and, and to a certain extent, too, like, I think D'Lo can be an alpha dog, too, because, like, he he knows what it takes to win in the playoffs and be, like, in the playoffs and be successful in the playoffs. Maybe not necessarily as a team, but as an individual. Like, he was excellent in the in the playoff series he had against Philadelphia when he was with the Nets. But, you know, I, I just think that's something that people got to think about. Like, like, you're not taking the heart and soul out of Atlanta's team if they're competitive in the Eastern Conference Finals without DeAndre Hunter. Like, yeah, I get it. Brooklyn happened. You know, that sucks. But what other team in, in the in the East is, like, crazy different from what they would be? I guess you could say, like, Dante DiVincenzo being out is a big loss for Milwaukee because, you know, then they don't really have that, like, secondary, you know, ball handler outside of Middleton. But, 
I, like the I just feel like the Hawks aren't going to want to take anybody off of this team. And that's downplaying how good the Hawks have been to even give any other team an excuse for why Atlanta beat them. You know, like like Embiid's injury, he's still out there playing. He's still out there, you know, giving them twenty five a night. Like Atlanta were the fifth seed, man, and they weren't even supposed to get past the first round against the Knicks. Like they were, they felt. I, I picked I picked the Knicks to win in five. Yeah, like that's you know, so anything that they're they're doing, I don't think you can disqualify it with with any sort of kind of excuse for for other teams because they shouldn't be there. They're playing out of their mind, and like you said, like Collins's attitude and kind of the way he he presents himself is a big part of it. Obviously, Trey is Trey, and he's playing out of his mind right now. Like that goes without saying. We're not we're not saying that that it's Collins over Trey here, but it, the, the way, the, the things that Collins does is, is really infectious. And then, you know, infectious for a crowd as well. Like when you, when you've got jo- Joel Embiid in a headlock and you're also jumping over him to dunk, dunk on him, like that's the kind of thing that gets entire cities to, to gravitate towards you and gets crowds hype. And, and we know how important crowds are in the playoffs. And I think, uh, that's been rammed home this year when, you know, after after the bubble last year, just how important having a, a raucous crowd is in, in the playoffs and having a, a whole city behind you. So, yeah, like, like Collins is is kind of that, no, I wouldn't say cult figure, but, but a guy who definitely embodies the Atlanta spirit and embodies the, the run that they're on right now. And like you said, which, in a round, you know, we're coming back to full circle. The point of that is that they're probably not going to trade him. So... Why are we talking about him? I don't know because we we, we like to we like to dream. But I still think it's important to like. And they're going to try. Up. Like Minnesota will try to get someone like this, even if they don't. If you if it's rolls around to next season and they don't have Turner and they don't have Simmons and they don't have Collins, it won't be through lack of trying. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. No. I mean, well, and think about it too. Like, why else would Minnesota invite all twenty nine other teams to Minneapolis if they don't have a pick? Gers is up there buying some. Gers is up there buying some steak dinners, man. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, um, uh, all right, I want to talk Simmons. Let's take a break first, because Simmons, I think, is going to be the longer conversation here. So we'll take a, a quick break, and then we'll get back and talk about Simmons. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, we're back. We've talked about Miles Turner. We've talked about John Collins. The name in Minnesota circles right now is Benjamin Simmons. Uh, I have a soft spot for Simmons. I will admit that because he's Australian, so I have to have a soft spot for him. I think the disclaimer that we need to make is that we understand, because I know that people are going to be against any positive Ben Simmons talk, because that seems to be how it is, you know, when we bring it up on Twitter or whatever. We understand that Ben Simmons had one of the worst series that an All-NBA, All-Star level player has potentially ever had. Um, he was ass, man. Like, 
there's no other way to put it. We saw the struggles. We know he can't shoot. We know that he folded like a lawn chair in the in the fourth quarters of those games against Atlanta. Um, all of that is relevant, very, very relevant, and factors into our analysis, I think. But we both agree that he, there is not a single available trade target in the NBA right now that is better for this team than Ben Simmons. And like, like, why? Why is that, Jack? Just that he, just why it makes sense for Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Like, yeah, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Tell the people. Try and I guess convince the people that are just so fervently against Ben Simmons why they shouldn't be. Yeah, sorry, you you cut out. I just want to make sure I heard you right. Um, yeah, no, I, I the biggest thing that I I can look at with Ben Simmons is that no matter how you slice the data, the the minutes that Ben Simmons has played, he is an overwhelmingly positive player. In the playoffs, he was an overwhelmingly positive player. Despite everybody wanting to, you know, shit their pants about how bad Ben Simmons was in that series, the entire playoffs, Ben Simmons had an assisted turnover ratio of four. And the only players that that was behind for people that had at least four assists a game, which and, and he used to trade above 15%, meaning just like any primary ball handler that is playing big minutes. Um, only Monte Morris, CP3, and Dame Lillard had better assist-to-turnover ratios. You want to know what Embiid's assist-to-turnover ratio was in the playoffs this year? It was 0.88. He had more turnovers than he had assists, which is abhorrent for somebody who attracts as much attention as he does. And for a team that has as many, you know, good shooters as Philadelphia does. And, and Danny Green being out obviously, you know, hurt Embiid in that regard. There's no doubt about that. But... Ben Simmons does so many other things well rather than shooting the ball. Ben Simmons is the best and most valuable defensive player in the NBA, and in my opinion, it's not even close. You saw what happened to Rudy Gobert in the playoffs. He looked like a dog chasing his own tail when he was asked to defend in space. Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Boston College legend Reggie Jackson, Mr. June, made him look like a negative, just like an awful player. On defense. Made terrible. I mean, it was incredible. And you look at Simmons. And Simmons, despite how how poorly he was playing on offense from a shooting perspective, from the free throw line, and just like his decision making on whether or not to shoot, um, Ben Simmons was still playing fantastic defense, especially on Trey Young. When he got matched up on Bogdanovich, he, he still was incredibly locked in on that end of the floor. And... And Ben Simmons, yeah, I, I get that he wasn't scoring 20 points in a game. I get that he needs to be more aggressive in, in looking for his shot offensively. And, and, and what is shot by a shot, I mean getting to the rim and just putting dudes in the rim. But, you know, he still creates so many open shots. Since Ben Simmons came in the league, nobody has assisted on more threes per game, overall, than Ben Simmons. There's the gravity that he has when he gets into the lane is incredible. Um, you know, and, and, and we've seen that whether it be in the regular season or in the playoffs. I mean, he still creates so many shots for people, whether he's driving into the lane or when he's in those handoff situations 
and he comes to hand it off to people and throws his big ass 6'10", 250 pound frame in front of people, he on, off of handoffs, like imagine him handing the ball off to Anthony Edwards with that much of a runway for Anthony Edwards to, to get going downhill with. Like nobody is getting in front of or stopping Anthony Edwards in those types of situations. Then imagine, you know, D'Lo. Like, I don't, like, I, I'm just not even going to really entertain, like, those Wolves having Simmons, Ant, and Cat because they're they're not trading D'Lo. Like, I'm sorry, that's just not happening. Um, the whole point, um, I think, the, uh, this is a this is a bugaboo for me, man. Like, what, that, that conversation, because the best way to maximize Simmons, the whole point of trading for Simmons is because if you have a primary ball handler who can create for themselves and create for others and run pick and roll, and you have a stretch five who, you know, if it's Towns caliber of stretch five, who's the best stretch five in the league, that is where Ben Simmons thrives. Like, that is the situation, theoretically, that Ben Simmons does well in and, and you know, maximizes himself even with the offensive flaws that he has. Like, you don't trade D'Lo for... You don't trade D'Lo... Like, people say I'm not trading D'Lo for Simmons. I don't think it's because... Ben Simmons isn't better than D'Angelo Russell because I do believe that's true. But it's because the Ben Simmons and D'Angelo Russell together on the floor is what makes this intriguing. And, and that and that I think Russell would really elevate Simmons' game. Um, and, and I think you'd be getting a worse version of... You'd be getting a worse version of Ben Simmons if you traded D'Angelo Russell, in my opinion. Um, and, and I think that the Timberwolves have enough ammunition to figure it out, whether it be through a three-team deal or straight up with Philadelphia to, you know, acquire Ben Simmons. Um, I, you, you start looking at other teams who, you know, have high draft picks that could theoretically go after him. Like Toronto is not going after Ben Simmons because Kyle Lowry is not coming back. Um, Cleveland, what, what is Cleveland going to give? They're going to give what they have the third pick, right? So you could give the third pick and Colin Sexton, and then you also have to match salary. So you're like, it's just the avenues for some of these other teams that, that don't have, um, you know, that don't have the, the financial means and also the, the situation so that when Simmons does get acquired, he can come in and be successful right away. Like no, nobody outside of, of Portland, Golden State, and Minnesota has that. And I think Minnesota and and Golden State specifically are, are the two that I think it's going to come down to. Because I think Minnesota is at a point now where the rubber is like about to hit the road for them. We're like, I think people in the past have talked about with like the whole trading cat or if cat requests out, you, you need a safety net. Cat is the safety net. When you trade Cat, you're getting three, four, five, six first-round picks, depending on what the structure of the deal looks like. And two, you could also flip Simmons then if Cat requests out or something like that. And you still have Ant and Jaden. So, like, the Timberwolves need to go all in and be willing to part with two or three first-round picks if you're also trading Rubio and Beasley. And, you know, you, you can protect one or two of those picks. You can make that lottery protected because the Timberwolves should be a playoff team. So they should be fine giving up a back end first round pick. If that means they can be a perennial playoff team, like at some point you have to be willing to bet 
And I think Rosas has been waiting to, and has kind of been, you know, just waiting for the right moment where he can go all in on an appropriate player. Like, I, I think he's been hesitant to try and pull the trigger on, you know, some of these other guys that, that have become available. Maybe it'd be like a Collins, like, you know, I don't know how far along those trade discussions really got. But at the time, like, I understand why you don't feel confident with Collins as like your third star. You know, like Simmons is a legitimate star. Right? Like he's an all-star, an all-NBA player. Um, he's the type of guy that, that you can go all in on. And, and you were talking earlier about Turner. Like Turner himself can make the Timberwolves this okay or average defense. Ben Simmons can do the same thing. Ben Simmons, I think, if he's on your team, your team is automatically a top 20 defense. And Ben Simmons being on your team does not, like you were saying with Turner, does not preclude you from being a hyper-explosive offensive team. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, is that people seem to, to be kind of in the mentality that Ben Simmons is just a complete negative offensively, like... This is a dude who who has lifted Philly's game for every year he's been in the league. Like I, I understand he has these flaws. He has these at times they can be crippling flaws. Like we, we we've seen that. But I think that that the best way to maximize him is to use him in another way that that shines a light on his strengths and, and negates his weaknesses. And just by team construction, roster construction, Minnesota can do that. Like. They don't. He doesn't have to be the point guard. I don't think he's a point guard. I think he's more of a, a four who handles the ball, and that's where where he'd be playing for Minnesota. I mean, like I I want to see him running less half court sets, uh, and running more as a short roll passer. If you, I think with D'Angelo Russell, you you immediately can can maximize Ben Simmons in the short roll, or just as a roll man heading to the rim to to get his own points. I think. He's still a really good rebounder, and after a rebound, you still want him to push in transition every single chance he gets because he's unbelievably good at that. Uh, I think Dane had the the stat the other day on his podcast. I don't have it up in front of me, but I think it's around 1.6 points per possession when when Ben Simmons is in transition, which is just flat out elite, um, as good as it comes. So you want him you want him dribbling the ball there. You want him to to still be able to handle the ball in, in broken floor situations or when a defense is shifting. And he can he can kind of beat a guy on, on a closeout, but uh, in general you want him more as a guy who's, I guess lower almost lower usage in terms of uh, of creator reps, uh, in off on offense, and, and more of a play finisher, a guy who's who's a lob threat, a guy who's a cutter, a guy who's a roller, um, all of that you get with Minnesota because you have D'Angelo Russell and you have Anthony Edwards and they handle the ball a lot, and then you have Carlton Towns who spaces the floor and obviously has the ball a lot in the high post and on the elbows. Like, how many times did we see Carlton Towns hit Jaden McDaniels or hit hit Joshua Cody on those dives to the rim where they come from the opposite slot, you know, to where Towns is on the on the elbow or on the block? Like, Ben Simmons will feast on them, man. Like, Ben Simmons is six foot eleven, runs like a damn gazelle, and can finish around the rim with a head of steam over anyone, over, through, around anyone. Like, he still has elite touch around the rim on layups and on, you know, like on cutting, um, cutting baskets. Like it, it, it's, 
the narrative swung too far in the other direction where he can't do anything. He couldn't do anything against Atlanta. He was in his own head as bad as I've ever seen anyone be in their own head uh, offensively. But but that doesn't mean we can disregard the five, six seasons of worth of sample size that we have, uh, that he is an elite finisher. And like I just think if you can't picture him doing really good things offensively around Towns, Russell, and Edwards as a cutter, as a roller, as a play finisher... But then also as a passer, like we still know he can make fantastic pass. He can still run pick and roll, but when it's not thirty pick and roll a game, it becomes a lot more palatable. Like and it becomes a lot uh, easier to see him in a, in a lower usage but higher efficiency and higher impact kind of role. And that's without even mentioning defense, which is he's the best defender in the league and the best defender on the Timberwolves by the length of you know the Kentucky derby straight so like yeah like and with simmons too like there's going to be no pressure on him to score the ball like he he, he's really going to be able to pick his spots because you know if he's on the wolves and you have russell and you have edwards and you have towns simmons is your fourth option offensively if you need a bucket and i think he's so smart as a playmaker i i think Ben Simmons is could honestly be one of the like three or five best playmakers in the NBA because his vision is insane at 610. He's tall enough to make any type of pass over or around anybody. He, when he gets ahead of steam, he's able to kind of, you know, where guys will kind of jump around or kind of jump at the baseline and then make a pass in midair. He's incredible at doing that. And he creates so many broken floor and scramble situations where, you know, if a second guy is to come off of him, come on to him, that, that's a wide open shot for one of Cat, Ant, D'Lo, or Jaden. Assuming that Jaden is still on the team. Like, that's that's just incredible to think about. And, you know, or if, if they don't respect him at all, you know, then they can switch hunt. Like, Ben Simmons, in the regular season, all the time, they would they would have somebody come and force a switch and let Ben just take some guy off the dribble. And he felt comfortable doing that at the end of games. Like, I do not think that this series in in any way, shape or form is going to break down Ben Simmons as a player. I, I just don't. Um, I, I think there's too big of a sample size of him being consistently excellent on both ends of the floor, um, regardless of whether he's shooting free throws well or not. I, I just think that there's way too much there for for us to, you know, have this recency bias um, and go searching for things that confirm, you know, whatever we want to believe about him. Because, yeah, he shot 34% from the free throw line, worst mark in, in NBA history. But, you know, we have a, a pretty large sample size of him being significantly better than that, even in the 60s. Um, and who knows? I mean, if he's able to, maybe he switches his hand in this offseason. And if he, and if he doesn't, like, I still think that he's better than a fifty percent free throw shooter with his with his left hand. And if he is, anything above one possess one points per possession is a is a good possession. Theoretically, is a good possession. That's another way you think about it. Like, if Ben Simmons Ben Simmons can shoot fifty five or sixty percent from the line, and he gets fouled consistently down the stretch at the end of games, or you have to take him out and play offense for defense, like. That's fine. Like, go put Jalen Noel in if you need to play offense. Or go put, you know, Bull Marrow in if you need, you know, if you still need that playmaking. 
Um, but I, Finch is too smart and Simmons is too goddamn good at basketball for the Timberwolves not to create an environment for him within the structure that they already have for him to be wildly successful. Yeah, do you think Chris Finch would not be licking his lips at the thought of having Ben Simmons inside his offense? Um, you know, I think we've got to have a sit down and a, and a discussion because, like, like they had one hundred and fifteen point six offensive rating in the playoffs, man. Like, Minnesota had one hundred and nine point three offensive rating in the regular season. This is with Ben Simmons on the court, stinking it up for seven games of those of those playoffs. Like for the half of the games. It's, it just, it blows me away sometimes the recency bias. And that, again, like I said at the start, this is not, I don't exclude the fact that he was awful in the playoffs. And that has to be a, a mark against his name. But, yeah, the, the sample size is just huge of him being better than that. And I can tell you right now, Gerson Rosas, he wants dudes who are stars. I don't think he really is picky about it and about the flaws that these guys have or even about their contracts. I think that they just want guys who help this team win. At the end of the day, no, he'd never admit it. And, you know, it's it's not something that seems to be a motivation that, that we hear about a lot. But, like, Rosas is trying to keep his job, man. Rosas has, has used a lot of the bullets that he had in the chamber, especially when he traded, you know, the, the first-round pick and then he fired Saunders, you know, so he's on his last bullet coach-wise. You know, he's made his big trade that right now still has kind of up and down opinions on whether it was a big one. Uh, sorry, whether it was a good one. Uh, I just think that getting Ben Simmons makes them a playoff team every single year. If it works as well as it could, it makes them a legitimate, you know, top four seed every year. And then, and then he keeps his job, man, and and he's he's praised as as a great general manager, a great president of basketball operations, and the money. I guess we need to talk about the money because that's something that, you know, if if someone's telling you this is a bad idea, but what? Can I can I just jump in really quick, uh, just about the Rosas thing, like, and also think about too, like the stars are aligning for the Timberwolves to kind of replace one of these teams that are bottoming out in the playoffs like like portland portland is on the verge of extinction you know the fan the fans are irate that they hired chauncey billups dame reportedly has made a demand for another star otherwise he's gone the mavericks just hired jason kidd and still have to deal with tingus pingus and frankly an awful roster and and then you also think about the fact like Jamal Murray is going to be out for most of next season. So who knows what the Nuggets are going to look like? Um, you know, if, if Michael Porter Jr. gets hurt or, or, you know, Monte Morris gets hurt or somebody else gets hurt, like that team is just frankly not very good. Like that's not a deep team at all. The, the Warriors are obviously going to be, I think, the favorite to win the Western Conference next year. Um, but then too, like, you know, again, the, like the Lakers, I could I could see a world in which the Timberwolves could be better than the Lakers if they have Ben Simmons on their team because AD is not going to play all that many games. 
I don't think, in the regular season. They'll just run it back, gear up for the playoffs again, do some retooling around the roster. But the Lakers roster really is not all that impressive also. And then you think about, you know, what other teams in the West besides like Phoenix and Utah and the Clippers? Like, so I think that the only three teams that I think, you know, would be incumbents that would be better than the Timberwolves would be Utah, Phoenix, assuming Chris Paul is back and, and the Clippers, assuming Kawhi is back. And then obviously you have Golden State. Like, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, I'd feel comfortable saying that the Timberwolves could theoretically be the fifth team there. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a wild assumption at all. Like, Ben Simmons has been on first se- first team, you know, first seed Philadelphia teams or top three, top four seeds for, for years now. Like As their second best player. Yeah, exactly. And this is a team, Minnesota, who, who have a great big man. I don't think he's at the level of Embiid now that Embiid's taken a, a, a pretty huge step forward. But he's definitely not a guy who's breaking down after 70 games after every year. Uh, Anthony Edwards and Danzo Russell are the absolute key components to a Ben Simmons trade. As I said earlier, not to be in the trade, but he they are what makes Ben Simmons an optimised version of himself because they are the players that Philly could never find. Like... Jimmy Butler was awesome and is awesome as a player, but he can't shoot threes and he refused to shoot threes for Philadelphia. It's just they never found the player who could run pick and roll and who could shoot threes and space the floor and stretch out defenses and pull defenses up to, to trap at half court or to trap at, you know, quarter court and let Ben Simmons play more as a, as a big man rather than as a full-time point guard. And that is really where I see him at his best. And I know I'm repeating myself here, but it's just like Minnesota makes so much sense. And the money the money thing, the, the $145 million or whatever that he's owed over the next four years, he's I mean, worth it doesn't it. bother he's me. He's worth it. doesn't it. bother me. Yeah. Everybody's, and who, everybody's. like Minnesota don't sign anyone any, ever. They haven't used the MLE for two years because no one wants to sign with them. Like... And also, and and also, I think about it this way too. Like you have, so you have two years of Russell left before he's he's due. Well, you'd be able to re-sign him next summer, theoretically. And then Towns has four, right? This was year this was year one of his max. Am I right? Or does he have uh, three yes. years? He has three years. No, left. he has three. He has one more than Delo. Okay, so he's got three years left. Simmons has Simmons. I think this was year one of his max. So he's got four years left after this. So you've got two, three, and four years. You'd, you'd, you'd be mean to tell me that D'Angelo Russell wouldn't want to be on a consistently good Western Conference playoff team with two of the best friends that he has in the NBA. Knowing you, that he's not going to get a max anywhere. Yeah. In, unless, yeah. unless he you know goes right back to Brooklyn levels and above that because like he's, his reputation just isn't at that level But then anymore. who cares? Then like, who you've cares? Like, like, you've already been on a max. Like, yeah. that doesn't like, fundamentally that change fundamentally anything. Change and he'd be, what, what, 26? And, yeah. and what fundamentally changes things is changing his reputation by being the point guard on a team that's the third seed in the West. Exactly. And that exactly. seems to be yeah. what him and Towns are craving for. Not money, but respect, man. Respect from the league. And that's what I'm craving for. That's why I'm sitting here pleading, you know, the, the case for Ben Simmons. is that I want 
this team, like everyone wants the team to be good and they want talented accounts to stay and they want to build a winner, but they don't, you know, like this is how you do it. If you want talented accounts to stay, you show him your loyalty by swinging for the fences for him. And swinging for and the fences want, is Ben Simmons. And you want to know what you don't do? You don't refuse to pay the luxury tax every year. That's what you don't do. Like, I understand that you do, you don't want to pay the luxury tax if your team's not good. I completely agree with that. You know, it's it's it does make sense. But, like, look at what Golden State's done. Golden State has insulated Seth, Seth, ugh, Steph Curry with Clay. Draymond and the Wiggins contract. Yeah, they're paying a shitload of money every year in the luxury tax. But think about it: if you if you got D'Lo on a Draymond type contract, so closer to like I think Draymond's getting like closer to twenty million dollars a year. So so it's closer to like twenty to closer to like twenty percent of of the overall cap, or seventeen or eighteen percent of the overall cap. If D, if you convinced D'Lo to do that so he could stay and play with Ant, Simmons, Cat, I like obviously Ant's going to get a max contract. Yeah, I, I think that's that's, that's like that's where it becomes a little bit tricky because you always have to be planning for Ant's upcoming estate. Yeah, and like, you probably can't like afford to pay D'Lo like you can't have four maxes on a team that like that just won't happen. Like people are gonna are gonna have to take pay cuts at some point. And like it's but gonna you can be really, that really, out. Really, you can figure that out when that time comes. For now, just exactly. get just get good. Just become a good team. And if you have to let D'Angelo Russell go because you need to pay Anthony Edwards, or if you know you need to retool and trade someone, like do that in two three years when when Ant is eligible. Because right now, yeah, I mean, right now, no one wants to play for you anyway. Make you make Minnesota an attractive destination, and then you can replace guys who need to leave for cap reasons, you know, with MLE guys, with, with guys who take pay cuts to play with you, you know, you, to, with your Jay Crowder type players, players that Los Angeles get, players that Philly get, like, these are team, good teams get players for cheaper because they have stars and they have a... a exactly, that, exactly. That, that's the other prize of being a good team. Um, or proving to other guys like, hey, bet on us this year. Like we're going, to, we have the infrastructure with like Simmons and Towns and Ant and Russell. Like, I think guys are going to be interested in that. Like, you know, people were never interested in Milwaukee, but now that they've built it out, like, you get a guy like PJ Tucker to come. You get, you know, you're going to get guys that are going to be interested in coming in the buyout market or the MLE game. Like Bobby Portis was a good get for them. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it just feels like this is the summer when it feels like the right time to take a massive swing, considering that the bottom half of the Western conference playoff bracket in terms of like who are the best teams are, are going to be weak next year. Or on the verge of implosion, or both. And Ben Simmons has been handed to you on a silver platter in the summer where you need to do that. Like, and he's this is the opportunity. It's him. Right. It's him. And to me, as much as it hurts, that means that that if Jaden McDaniels is a must for Philadelphia, then he goes. Like, if if multiple first round picks are a must for Philadelphia, then they go. Like, I just think that you give up what you need to give up to get Ben Simmons. I, I, love I don't think you can give up Jaden McDaniels, though. 
stuff. I think that you can. I I just think that you know you you need to give to get, and I don't think that Jaden McDaniel's can should stop you from. I don't think you you're out there offering I, up. Let, let me put McDaniels. it this way. Let me put it this way. I think I would rather pay two first round picks. Right. Like if they were like, all right, you can give us two first round picks unprotected, or you can give us Jaden McDaniel's. I would rather give two unprotected first round picks. Because Jaden McDaniel's contract is is insane, and if you're going to have three max contracts, you sure as hell need a guy like Jaden McDaniel's that's going to be able to contribute on a really cheap-ass contract. Like, if you could have Jaden McDaniel's and Bolmero both on very, very similar, you know, two-ish million-dollar-a-year contracts for the next three, four years, and they're contributing in your, in your rotation, playing big minutes for a playoff team, like, that's a huge win. I agree, but I think that if McDaniels is the hold-up and he's the reason why they won't... You know, if you saying you want McDaniels and them saying they want McDaniels is the reason why you can't get a deal done, I think that you have to just give McDaniels and you you try and find other cheap players. They might not be McDaniels' level with McDaniels' potential, but I don't think that you pass on Ben Simmons to cheap that. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I... Think that I- you- I think it. I think for me, I think for me, it depends on what you're giving up. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I just think it's easier to find role players than it is to find Ben Simmons's. Like, and if you have to give up a really, really good role player and take back, you know, sixty cents on the dollar in the in the free agency market for for what you get with Jaden McDaniels, um, I think you do that because the odds of finding a Ben Simmons are just tremendously low. And if you you know. You just get one when you can. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I just think you got to do everything in your power to keep Jaden McDaniels. Like, I don't think that you should be centering your offer around someone. I mean, I just bought I just bought a custom Jaden McDaniels jersey that I made myself because they don't actually sell them anywhere. So, like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love Jaden McDaniels, man. <laughs> like, I'll be devastated if Jaden McDaniels leaves, but... Like, you can bet I'll be on my absolute Australian shit if Ben Simmons is running a muck for Minnesota. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I hear you. Especially after the way my, while my former boy Mitch Creek has been acting. I don't know if you, you remember Mitch Creek, right? Oh, I remember Mitch Creek. Mitch Creek is a fucking horrible person. Some of the stuff that came out in Australia, he beat a woman half to death, like, and then got oh off, yeah. Then got off scot free. I mean, Mitch Creek is an asshole, and that deserves to be said live on air because he is just a prick. And I'm, I, I need another Minnesota slash Australia connection to, to sink my teeth into because he's. I don't have one anymore. Yeah. No. I mean, how did you feel about like going from like number one to number two on people's on like Wolvesland's like favorite Australians list? If they're winning I feel games, like that's a tough stock for you. <laughs> if they're winning games, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> if they're not, then you know we're gonna have to. I might have to like fly over and fight to the death with Simmons for, <laughs> for the right to for people's love. Um, oh. All right, now I think that we've done. When we start talking about Australian Timbers rankings, that must be mean that we're done for the podcast <laughs> because no one wants to listen to that. Um, Jack, what have you got coming? Anything for, for Kane Supers? I know you've been doing some really good Lynx stuff and, and coverage over there for the Lynx. Um, anything that you want to plug before I let you go? Yeah, no, no. I've, I've been trying to do Lynx coverage. Um, I'll be in the building for every single Lynx home game for the rest of the season. 
um, which is which is fun and exciting. Um, yeah, but but I, I think that player review stuff um, is something that, that I'll be getting into. Um, and I'm also I'm also doing a lot of work on um, on some analytics analytics content um, that that may not necessarily come out this summer, be ready to go this summer, but um, will be stuff that like during games next season. Um, you know, I'll be able to kind of produce in the middle of games rather quickly and just creating kind of templates that I'm that I'm able to replicate stuff with. So that that's that's been eating up a bunch of my time. But I think player reviews um, is definitely something that, that that's going to be coming up for me on, on the site in addition to uh, all the links coverage. So awesome, awesome. Um, for me, I am taking a well-deserved break after that six thousand word. Well, you deserve piece. it. You deserve it. Um, I'm going to jump on tomorrow and have a chat with Dane uh, for his podcast. So I'm sure by the time you listen to that, they'll probably both be out. But that's why I kind of kept the Balmaro talk out of this conversation just because I will be having it tomorrow. So For sure. Um, yeah. Jack, you're a superstar. I, I love doing this. I know it's been a few weeks since we got to pod, but uh, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Always happy to. Right back at you, my man. Um, and everyone else, thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.